Welcome to episode 136 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the Gegenschein edition. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. And joining us again is Dave Chapman. And we are all amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Welcome back, Dave. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks. Excellent. So let's uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to talk about the Gagan, the Gegenschein. We're talking about how do you, how do you say it? How do you say this word? Well, I say Gegenschein, and I'm not going to change right now. So okay, and <laughs> and I I keep thinking when I see this word, I think about that Stanley Kubrick movie with uh, where, where the guy's chopping through the wall. That's not the Gegenschein, though. That's something <laughs> I, else. That's the Shining, isn't it? See, in my mind, I thought it was like a supernatural power, but apparently, okay, apparently okay. it's not. Well, it is an astronomy podcast, and the Gegenschein is an is a phenomenon in the sky which is extraterrestrial. And by that, Ooh. I don't mean it's the, the aliens are the source of it. It means that it's not in the on the Earth or in the atmosphere. It's actually out there in space, and that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Well, let's uh, yeah, let's hear let's hear about it. You 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 had a bit of an observation. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Let's let's just get you to jump right in and sort so of. So let's take just us down. let's just say what the word Gegenschein means. It means, literally, means counter glow, and what it is uh, is, it's a it's related to zodiacal light. Now you guys have seen zodiacal light, eh? Yeah. Both of you. Yeah. Yep. Have either of you seen what I call the Gegenschein? I don't know if I have, to be honest. So I'm, I was quite looking forward to this uh, okay. episode to, to learn a little bit more. How about you, Chris? Have you? Well, boy, I think I saw it once. It's, it's pretty subtle. Yeah, it's it's kind of like almost directly overhead and, and sort of the late late winter, early spring is the time to see exactly. it. Exactly. So I wasn't really sure, but so, I, I think I've seen it. So what it is, it's, it's a glow in the sky related to zodiacal light, which is at the anti-solar point. So if you imagine where the sun is at any particular time, think of the anti-solar point, like where where the Earth's shadow would be if you could see it. And that's where you'll see this counter glow, this gegenschein. And what it is, is that um, uh, it, it's, it's a kind of a local brightening of the zodiacal light. In principle, the zodiacal light is a band of light which uh, goes all the way along the ecliptic uh, and it's meant to be uh, reflections off of particles in orbit in the in the plane of the ecliptic, micro micro meteorites or dust particles. So the the ecliptic is is basically the uh, the area in our solar system where the planets live and hang out. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I would say yeah, the plane, more yeah, or less exactly. the plane. Like think of it as a fat plane. So you don't normally see the zodiacal light spin all the way around. Usually you see it after, you know, after dark in the spring, you'd see it in the evening sky. After it's officially dark, you would see this cone of light coming up from the sunset position. And then in, in, the, in the fall, you'd see it in the morning, a cone of light coming up before sunrise. And the reason for those um, seasons and times is... Just the angle of the ecliptic is very high, very steep uh, relative to the horizon. So that's the best chance you would see it. Yeah. And it's reasonably bright if you're in a dark sky. So, you know, you need to have 
you know, you need to have a clear sky. You need to have a transparent sky. You can't have any kind of uh, light pollution or any kind of moon, moonlight. It has to be absolutely dark to see it. That's why most people haven't seen it because very few people, you know, find themselves in those circumstances. Now, the Gegenschein is like a lo like I said, a local brightening because there's a physical phenomenon which happens at the anti-solar point where the intensity of that backscattered light is enhanced uh, by a physical effect. I'm going to explain that later, but I'll tell you the story of how I found it. So I was at the um, Winter Star Party, which is down in the Florida Keys, which is about as far south you can go and still be in, uh, in the United States. And the folks down there have a star party, usually in February around the new moon date, and a lot of people go there. I've been there three times. It's a, it's a great time. It doesn't have perfect skies because along the Florida Keys, there's this highway, and it's all built up, you know, along the highway. So to the east and the west, it's actually, there's a fair bit of, of light pollution. But a very wide band... Uh, on the southern and northern meridian is pretty dark okay and the other neat thing about that location is that from there you can actually see the southern cross and alpha centauri and beta centauri and omega centauri and some of those uh, features that are um, considered to be southern sky objects they're pretty low to the horizon but if you have a good sky you can see those things and and not leave north america so so that's one of the reasons you go there. So the last time I was there was in 2017, in late February. And I was observing out on the, the berm, which is like, like the beach. And of course, the cool thing about being down in Florida in February is that you can observe in your t-shirt and shorts and just relax and have a good time. And my friend and I, uh, Tony, Tony Schelling, who's a really uh, quite a good observer here in um, Halifax, he was working on his uh, Explore the Universe, and he was he was like uh, going through the various double stars in Coma, Berenices, and Draco, and and I was kind of I was kind of with him, kind of validating his observations because he was getting lost a little bit, and he, you know. And he and I were both looking at at the same thing in binoculars. I couldn't take a telescope, you know, because I fly down there. So I took, you know, my seven, my 12, 15 by 70 binoculars. And uh, anyway, I was relaxing in my chair, having a cold beverage. And it was just after midnight. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm just kind of laying back, looking up in the sky, looking up at Leo, because Leo is really high up in the sky, like almost overhead. And I'm looking at Leo, and there's not much, you know, there's not much going on in Leo. You can see the, the, the constellation is quite large, but there aren't any really super bright stars except Regulus uh, or anything else to look at. And I see this patch of light, and I'm like, what the hell is that? So I decide not to say anything about it, because I thought, well, maybe it's just a cloud, you know, I'll, I'll watch it for a while. So I watched it for 10 or 15 minutes, and it, it wasn't moving. It was relative to the stars. It was, it was stationary. And I asked Tony, I said, do you see that? And that's the cool thing about like observing with somebody is because, you know, you can trick yourself that you can see something. But, you know, if there's somebody there next to you, you know, you say, hey, Tony, can you see that? And, you know, he, he looked up. It took him a while, but he, he said he confirmed that there was a patch of light there. And uh, we talked a little bit about what it could be and so on and so forth. And then it came to me. I said, geez, wonder if that's the Gegenschein. Like, 
what's the anti-solar point? So what I did was I went into my little, you know, my little iPhone and I have Sky Safari and I figured out where the sun was, you know, on the ecliptic and if, you know, what's 180 degrees, you know, around from that in ecliptic longitude and, you know, this and that. And then I figured out that that's exactly where it would be if it was Gegenschein. It would be in Leo. Hmm. And, uh, and so I was quite excited because I'd never seen it before. I'd only he heard tell of it. I remember one time at a star party, Roy Bishop was gazing up at the sky. He told me he was looking for Gegenschein. And I looked, I couldn't see anything. I can't remember if he could see anything either. So I kind of knew it was out there, but I'd never really looked for it. Or, and even on this occasion, I wasn't looking for it. It just came to me. And uh, so I was pretty excited. So I took a picture with my camera. It wasn't anything exciting. It was just like a, oh, I don't know. It was like a maybe a 50-degree lens or something. And it was on a, tr a tracker mount, but it probably didn't need to be. It was only about a couple of minutes long. You know, it was like a very... Uh, very simple picture nothing fancy and and when i ended up looking at the photograph i could see that i had captured this this patch of light and it's quite subtle i mean mm -hmm. you have to process it a bit to really bring it out so that it shows up in a in a magazine and so i thought well that's pretty cool but the thing that bothered me about it after coming home and thinking about it was that i thought it should be right dead on the the ecliptic Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Regulus is pretty close to the ecliptic, right? And and uh, the ecliptic uh, goes past Regulus on an angle just below Leo. And in fact, Regulus is one of the bright stars that's regularly occulted by the moon. So, you know, it's one of those ones. So, you know, it's pretty darn close. And it seemed to me that it the patch of light should be lower by four degrees or six degrees. And it bugged me. It was like... I don't understand that, but that, you know that's what I see, and that's what the camera picked up. And so I didn't think very much about it at the time. I just, uh, I think I poked around a bit. I found some articles about how the zodiacal light may not always be right at the ecliptic, but it might. the 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 long the latitude the ecliptic latitude of the brightest part might vary as you go around the. Um, the 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 circle of the ecliptic but uh, you know I, it, they were very um, academic articles and it was kind of hard to understand them but there was some evidence that there may be some irregularity about it and only recently uh i came across an article it only came up a couple of months ago and it was about the juno spacecraft and so some guys had had published some data from the Juno spacecraft, which is a spacecraft that they sent out to Jupiter. And uh, they were looking at uh, the solar panels and or, or the cameras, and they were picking up all these little bits. And they came to the conclusion that the stuff that made up zodiacal light wasn't actually confined to the plane of the ecliptic. But when they figured it out and fit different orbital parameters and stuff, they decided that this this material was in the plane of Mars's orbit. Okay, hmm. so it wasn't in the ecliptic; it was in the plane of Mars's orbit. So that implied that the stuff was coming from Mars and then being distributed all around the orbit and so on and so forth. So it's still a bit of a mystery because nobody can figure out how it, this stuff gets away from Mars. But we know that Mars is dusty and it has low gravity and a thin atmosphere. So maybe someone will figure that out. Hmm. But that made me think, well, 
well, wait a minute. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why the Gegenschein on that date uh, looked like it was coming north of the ecliptic. So I did a very simple thing. And this is in the article that's going to come out in, uh, in the journal of the RESC, but it's already online uh, in the RESC Halifax uh, Nova Notes. And uh, you can give people the link to that. It's already there for people to look at. I, I, had, I did this very simple thing. I said, well, what if I just project the orbit of Mars onto, onto the sky, which you can do easily in um, Sky Safari? I'd never had a reason to do that ever before, to project an orbit into the sky. And when I did that, lo and behold, it turned out that the orbit of Mars, when you look at it, it's several degrees kind of above the ecliptic plane in that direction and so it doesn't completely explain everything i saw but it's in the right direction and about the right amount but of course this is a very fuzzy patch but i feel like i feel like um that might be a clue as to why i saw it in the wrong place because everybody always says it's the zodiacal light and the gegenschein is on the ecliptic and here it clearly isn't. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. Cool. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so I guess for, you know, if, if listeners haven't picked up on this yet, but you were just using your eyes, right, Dave? Like no oh, absolutely. binoculars? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I mean, you, yeah, because I mean, this thing is what? Um, it, it's pretty wide. What did I say it was? It was quite a few degrees across. Uh, oh, I was using a 14 millimeter lens and it was pretty big in that. Um, I drew a circle about 20 degrees across, which to my, to my view in the picture captured most of the light. So it's a 20 degree wide object. So if zooming in even, even with, uh, a wide-angle binocular, you you would lose it. You know, you wouldn't see the contrast. So it was definitely with my eyes, and then the camera. I just dug up the Nova notes uh, from the Halifax yeah. RASC Center. sent sent that along to Shane, and uh, yeah, like you mentioned, you you took over my column in the RASC Journal. Up well, I, I didn't think of it that way. I've, I, when I was editing that column, I always had guest writers, but. That I, I say that just joking because uh, yeah yeah Dave Dave was the original author of the column and and bequ bequeathed it to me so yeah. <laughs> he's returning so, to his old stomping so guy. I want to go back to the physics of this though yeah why does this happen and it's a really cool physical effect and and it also occurs on the moon and terrestrial type planets like Mars. So what happens is, like when you look at the the brightness of the moon, and and Mars and whatnot, as as it as they sort of go through their phases in the sky, you know, their brightness uh, they're roughly uniformly illuminated, and their brightness varies according to the phase of the of the of the of the disk, you know. So if you can calculate what percentage of the, the disk is illuminated, you can calculate how much it would be dimmed. But a really funny thing happens when it's in the antisolar point. 
and you get this boost in reflectivity. And this is why. If the object is rough, like the moon, or even like a micrometeorite, uh, I mean, when I say rough, I mean that the, the irregularities are large compared to the wavelength of light, very much larger. The, the rough shape of them and the relief of these objects casts shadows. So when you're seeing things obliquely, not only do you have the phase effect, but you have this shadow effect where the light is casting shadows. So not all of the disk is actually emitting light towards the observer because of the shadow effect. But when the object comes into the anti-solar direction, all of those shadows disappear. There's, you don't see any shadows. So all of the light that goes in can come out and hmm. you get this boost in uh, brightness. And it's known to have happened with the full moon. And it's also known to happen with Mars. Like there's this little extra boost of intensity around opposition. And it's the same physical effect here. So all of that stuff is all out there and it's all reflecting and scattering light. But in the anti-solar direction, you get this boost because of this physical effect, the no shadow effect. Hmm. And it's actually, you, it, if you read the Observer's Handbook, uh, Roy talks about this in one of, one of his essays, um, this effect. And that's the physics behind it. That's why it looks uh, 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 brighter there. I, I can't get over how faint that is. You know, I'm looking at your photo <laughs> yeah. and I, I see your camera settings. So you were ISO 800 uh, F 2.8 and yeah. nearly four minute exposure. And it is still faint. Like that oh, yeah, is something is, else. This is badass faint. I mean, and this is why, <laughs> this is why like, don't look, don't look for this now. Yeah. Because the anti-solar point, you know where that is. It's right in the Milky Way. There's no yeah. way you'd see this. And even in the yeah. winter, you have to avoid, uh, you know, you have to avoid where the ecliptic crosses the, the Milky Way. You've got to be to one side or the other. And so like Leo is a perfect place. Like it's the most unmilky, you know, it's one of the most unmilky way parts of the sky. And I don't know what the opposite is somewhere below Pegasus, I think, you know, Pisces or somewhere's like that. Yeah, Pisces. You know, it's where you yeah. see all the, uh, you know, you see all the galaxies and jazz like that and globular clusters, but you don't see any star open clusters or any kind of uh, Milky Way stuff. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't work. It, 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 you have to, so you have to have all of these things that line up. You got to have clear sky, no light pollution, no moon, uh, transparent sky. Did, did I say no light pollution? No light yep. pollution, and no Milky Way. Like there's six things you got to get right to see mm -hmm. the cold. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait. Cold beverage was in there back in the. Well, <laughs> it's funny because you know, I shouldn't say this on air. I suppose that's but, fine. Uh, <laughs> We're casual. They here. have, they have, they have this like ironclad rule no alcohol right and uh my friend quinn and i would be observing and uh we'd be and, and quinn would turn to me and they say dave i'm thirsty i'm gonna go back to the cabin and i'm gonna get a pepsi would you like a pepsi <laughs> I say, yeah so he'd go off and he'd come back with two cold beers right <laughs> this would happen a couple you know a couple of times a night like when we weren't seriously observing when we were just goofing off and then when you get up in the morning, you go back to the observing site, and there'd be this, there'd be this trash bin full of beer cans. <laughs> <laughs> Not just ours, but everybody was doing it. It's like the trick is you don't you don't want to get caught. You see, 
and in the dark, no one can tell. Yeah. And in the daytime, nobody can connect you with it. So <laughs> the perfect crime. <laughs> teenagers, teenagers getting in there. Yeah. So that's about it for the gag and shine. Uh, I've seen Zodiacal Light at a lot of different places. I know when to look for it, where to look for it. Um, one of the best times I saw it was when I was down in Chile. Actually, that was the same year, I think 2017 or was that 2018? Down in the Atacama Desert. And I was out uh, in the morning before sunrise. And down there, I mean, you're at like basically at the Tropic of Capricorn. But I don't know how the geometry worked out. But the zodiacal light was like this almost completely vertical pyramid of light coming up from the mountains. Uh, I was waiting to see Mercury, but I, I was I thought I forgot about the zodiacal light. But there it was, it there it was in the, in um, their fall. <laughs> and uh, anyway, well, what, there's no seasons down there really, but uh, it was an amazing sight to see it. And I saw it both at, in the morning and the night because down there the, the ecliptic is always very steep mm. to the horizon. I saw it on both occasions, but that's wow. how dark it was. Yeah. Wow. The first time I saw Zodiacal Light was when I was looking for a comet Hayakutaki back in 96. And uh, I went out to, you know, where Mount Uniac is Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Yeah. The model airplane field? Uh, no, that was uh, Beaverbank. Uh, Mount oh. Uniac is a, a museum house. And we, used, we had permission to observe from there. And I decided to go out there for dark skies to see Hayakutaki. Oh. And I got a picture of I think I got a picture of it there. I saw it anyway. But I complained to Dave Lane the next day. I said, "Geez, you know, there's, there's some light, some some like bad light pollution out there, Mount Uniac." I said, "It must be Windsor." He said, "No, no, that's the, that's the wrong direction." Well, this was March, okay? Yeah. And then I figured out that I had seen zodiacal light for the first time in my life. That I just again, I just discovered it and figured out afterwards what it was. I mm. thought it was light pollution, but it was it was zodiacal light. And it was interfering with my appreciation of the comet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both both Uni not Mount Uni I just have to say Mount Uniac is famous for for being home to to Rich Fry, the the rap star. Buck sixty five. Buck sixty five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I'm a bit I'm a bit of a fan of his actually. I went to university with him. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had I think one class with him or something. Okay, he's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, I was just—I was going to make a comment about both uh, the zodiacal light and the Gegenschein. Um, you know, the like your comment, Dave, about the transparency. You, there, there's been nights where I've been out and the transparency isn't very good, and I can, no. after seeing your photos of the Gegenschein and seeing the zodiacal light myself, um, you know, if that air is dirty, it's pretty easy to, you know, yeah. probably convince yourself you're seeing some of this stuff when you're just seeing the effects of a, you know, a dirty sky. Yeah, and true, and but it, it, it's a testimony to how clear the air is there on the right mm -hmm. day. Even mm -hmm. though there's light pollution to the right and left, like bad light pollution, there's this band of darkness. Like you're looking towards Cuba, right? <laughs> Cuba's maybe, I don't know, 50 nautical miles away, but there's nothing coming that from that direction. So there's this kind of band. It's quite a wide band, that, and everybody's like observing in that band. And then through the night, that kind of the sky kind of washes over that. But you, you, it doesn't, it's hopeless to try to look in any other direction. Um, well, not hopeless, but uh, uh, but it's it's not 
it's not the perfect skies that you might imagine it would be. But mm-hmm. no place is, I found. I haven't found a perfect place yet. You yeah. got to come out and observe with us. We got a spot. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's not civilized. <laughs> that's that's true. It's. Well, are you talking about the company or the location? <laughs> or both. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I like Kejum Kujik. It's, it's not perfect, but uh, it's about the darkest place I've seen. Yeah. And I mentioned to you before, Chris, that despite being in the Atacama Desert and I'm being on, you know, and being eight, nine thousand feet above sea level and all that goes along with it, I didn't find it that dark. Yeah. I mean, it was a glorious sight to see all the southern objects, but my host that was there, he got quite put out when I suggested it. It didn't seem that dark, and <laughs> and and I wasn't. I wasn't really criticizing it. I was just making an observation. It was just like, it's yeah. not as dark as I thought it would be. Yeah. Now, but on top of that, it's got these brilliant, you know, stars and, and deep sky objects, which, I mean, they're not even deep sky objects because they're so damn bright, you know, Magellanic clouds and the Tarantula Nebula. I yeah. mean, they're just beaming out. You don't really need a dark sky to see those things. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still a, a beautiful view, but, but when you, move away from the Milky Way and take and you take an objective reading on the on the deep you know on the dark what do you call it the unihedron yeah yeah the dark sky meter one of these yeah you know you get a number you get there's the battery (laughs) you get a number and I and you know I was down there and I was like you know taking my measurements like I said well you know to be honest it's it's I've seen darker skies in Kejim Kujik National Park yeah yeah, but it depends on the it depends on the landscape, like and, and what the vegetation is and stuff. Well, like that. you know, they have a serious airglow problem down there. It's a it's yeah, they a, have like big lithium mines or something. No, 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 it's not terrestrial. It's it's oh. it's 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 something like the ozone layer or something, and the stuff coming in, and the airglow is like it's it's when the the the, the ions get. Yeah, we we get that. The gas gets ionized, but it's really bad down there to the extent that it interferes with the Alma radio telescope. Yeah, we we can sometimes see it here. I have I have a photo yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, you can see it in Kenji too, to an extent, yeah. but but it's bad down there. Yeah, it's like a hole, like it's not it's a known thing if you look it up. Like hmm. there's this like big hole over South America that lets in this uh, lets in all the rays that create this sky glow. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I air glow, I sorry. Air uh, air glow. Yeah, yeah I was re- there it uh, has to do with uh, a, a lack of magnetism in the area. It's like a weakening in the magnetic field. Oh, I'll, okay, so I'll I'll take down some magnets next time. Yeah, yeah problem solved. <laughs> It will go well with your tinfoil hat. But 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 my host, it was a there was a funny moment there. My host was saying, "Oh, it's a very dark sky, blah blah blah," and he he t- he he uh, he took out his dark sky meter, unbeknownst to me, and he came over, and he said, "I'm reading twenty three point zero on my on my meter," and I'm going, "Really He's reading it like this?" And I said, "You know, I've seen those numbers on my meter, but only when I'm pointing it in the wrong direction." And I walked away. <laughs> but seriously, if you have it backwards, you're looking at the ground, it'll come up yeah. 23. Anyway, he came to me about 10 minutes later and confessed that he had been doing it upside down. <laughs> anyway, we, we made friends after that because you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to... 
And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get at him. I was just being me, you know, I was just making this observation. Hey, you know, it's not as dark as I, yeah. and it turns out that there's a reason for it. So it was a perfectly valid and scientific yeah. observation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of factors that make for a dark sky, but uh, yeah, I got to say down in the grasslands, I've certainly seen more uh, of, of those darker nights. Than I'm going to have to get out there, I guess. You can, yeah. You got to come out. Yeah. You got to got a place to stay we'll we'll put you up in a in a tent the, the finest tent in southern the saskatchewan finest tent that we can find <laughs> with a with a few hail holes in it so getting back to the Gegenschein, one of the reasons i wanted to publish it in the journal not just the nova notes it's not because the nova notes isn't good enough but the thing about the journal is it's an archival publication so yeah. when i publish it there It'll be it'll be indexed in the Harvard abstracts, okay? So when people are doing research on this, it'll pop up. You know, my little article will pop up, and it's you know it's not a highly scientific uh, publication, and I didn't have any controls or any you know, it's it's just a random observation. But I think it's unique. I don't think anyone else has uh, reported that. And so, if anyone does want to research this seriously. I may have contributed to the science of the topic by just saying, this is what I saw and the date and where I was, and here's a picture, you know? So I figured that's worth, you know, that's worth recording in an archival journal. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I think, I think that pretty much covers the topic. Uh, yeah. Shane, do you have any, any further questions for Dave? No, no, no questions. Um, maybe just a comment about uh, the winter star party, sort of on topic, but off topic. Um, we've, we've had a few listeners uh, reach out to us uh, via email and uh, talk a lot about the winter star party. And, uh, you know, that combined with your observation here, Dave, and, you know, the fact that you've gone there a few times, uh, you know, it's, this is starting to rise as a higher priority on my list to attend this star party. So, so the thing is, is that from time to time it gets hit by hurricanes, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure what the physical state of the place is. Like it was never, the facilities were never like awesome. They were always like pretty primitive. And the last time when a, I can't remember the name of the hurricane, but it went right through there, and the little grass huts that we lived in, they called them chickies. They were demolished, like gone. <laughs> And and then most people stay in RVs and stuff. So when we would go down, we would we would get we would get like a five or six guys, and we would we would rent one of these chickies and get in really early so we could get one. So I just don't know what the state of the facilities are. Like, what uh, I don't even know if they had it last year. Um, but you know they they will need to because it's it's on like a the, a, a Girl Scout camp or something like that. But the facilities are like. Eh. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely event, but it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rudimentary. I'll, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to confess to you when I go down there with those guys, I pay my share for the hut and I stay with my wife in a proper hotel. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shame in that. No and, shame. and, and she, what she does is like, we, we spend the day together and then we go out and have an early dinner and then she comes and drops me off at about, I think seven o'clock because there's like a. No one, no one can leave uh, or, or come in with their vehicle after seven. 
So I get her to drop me off and I spend I spend the night there and then if I need to sleep I go to the hut but and in the morning she comes and gets me and I go and have my nice uh, you know my nice breakfast and have a nice shower and have a nice sleep in a real bed you know uh, so, so I I pay double accommodation just to be comfortable <laughs> and, and, and my my bed or like maybe the next time it'll be in a tent but it's just like a place to crash when I get too tired to observe Mm-hmm. Yeah, observing lifestyles of the of the rich and uh, not so famous. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to going with Jerry and Judy Black. Uh, we've last several summers we've been getting a particular campsite at Ketchumkujik Lake, Site 15 on an island, Big Muse Island, and nice. it's got a really nice beach. Uh, you don't see the whole sky, but it has a nice southern exposure, a little bit overhead. And uh, we get out there, and it's really dark, and we have a lot of time observing. And Jerry does a lot of time lapse type photography, and okay, and we've done that a few summers now, and uh, we've had some. We call it the Big Muse Island Star Party, and the, <laughs> it's only ever had four people at it. <laughs> and we have to paddle, you know, we have to paddle to get to it with all our gear. Like we can't drive up, right? Yeah. So yeah. we have to bring all our camping gear, and then we have to bring our astronomy gear. So it's quite a it's quite a production to get there, but it's worth huh. it. It's worth it. Sounds cool. awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, I think we should. Uh, we're trying to do these a little little short and punchier yeah. for for the summer, so that uh, so that we can get uh, some astronomy in, or or really, we're just working more these days. I think, but uh, yeah, I think we should uh, end it here, unless uh, people have anything more to add. Well, no, thanks a lot, Dave. Really appreciate your time. And this was, uh, this was an awesome episode. It was, it was interesting to hear about your observation. Well, Thank you. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Dave. I, I really, really appreciate it. I really it. appreciate you inviting me back. And uh, particularly because I know you guys are genuinely interested in that story. Like, yeah. like you guys are observers, so you can really appreciate what it was like. I hope I conveyed it well enough, what the experience Perfectly. was like. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, not everybody, you know, if I tried to tell that story at a typical party with my friends, like people would be nodding off in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> you know, you guys are you guys are awesome because of, you know, your your love for astronomy and, and, and the exp- all the different experiences that people have. And yeah. so I think your your podcast is really great. And uh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. I, Dave. I've been tuning in uh, more regularly now, usually oh, when great. I'm weeding the garden or something, I'll. I'll put my headphones in and listen to you guys while I weed the garden, you know. Yeah, you were saying once that sometimes you like try to correct us. And you're like, oh, no, wait, they're not there. <laughs> yeah. yeah just to stop mispronouncing things. Oh, no. Not so much correct, but sometimes I just like, I, sometimes I just want to comment and, but it's I'm not, I'm not really, it's not really handy. Like, you know, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, and then you forget, you know. But, but the, the point is that I'm listening with, purposefully and i'm reacting to it so nice well thanks <laughs> thanks so much okay. dave really appreciate you have having uh having made a a really interesting uh story for our listeners and uh yeah we we receive lots of uh observing stories from our listeners and so yeah. if, if anybody out there um has has other stories that they wish to share certainly uh drop us uh drop us a note to uh i think our email address is actualastronomy at gmail.com is that correct Shane? Perfect. There, there we go. All right. Yeah, maybe maybe if other people have seen Gegenshine, they can send in their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that'd be okay. wicked. Okay. Well, thanks again. Thank Bye-bye. you.
Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.